Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 14th of October 2019, a week when the Doing Grain team are heading off to the European Climbs for international trade development. So back to the dullness of uh, trading this morning in uh, in the UK. We had a USDA report last night, and we've got a market report with Webby sitting next to me today. So uh, you're an avid studier of these things, Ian. No, no pressure. What uh, what was that all about last night? Yeah, it was quite interesting. I mean, we, we it was highly anticipated, and we thought, as the listeners to our podcast would have um, hopefully uh, latched onto by now, but we've been beating the corn drum mm. haven't we for several months now and unfortunately it was a bit of a kicker wasn't it <laughs> you know yeah. we, it baffled us I mean we were surprised because we were thinking right this is the moment you know is it going to be the big corn day and it didn't the USDA still came out with uh well it was an unchanged number on the previous month and it hasn't factored in some of the lower yields that we're all hoping and anticipating in end stocks and uh, yeah corn dumped 15 cents overnight yes recovered a bit this morning yeah. but but I think that um the dynamic of the weather forecast, if you if you care to study it in the in the states at the moment, uh, snow, ice, extremely cold, and extremely wet in some areas where they're still trying to harvest, and and the USDA are still determined to push the yield to a high level and the number of acres harvested, mm. and it's this area that was planted late. Mm. It's, it's, it's the big boy, the, the Illinois, the Iowa's. Yeah, they're they're the ones that have got the problems, and that's what we're still hoping is gonna. Well, it, we we have a view that corn has a few troubles. So, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with the official USDA figures. It keeps going down on the USDA report day and then bouncing back straight afterwards. And I suspect it's going to be back where we were within three or four days. So I think corn is underlyingly, it's the important world base feed price. And I think, I don't think there's much downside to it. And, and that's what we're pinning our thoughts on. Yeah, no, I mean, just following on from that, the wheat numbers came in quite neutral actually mm-hmm. to what the expectation was a bit it followed corn that went down 11 cents yeah there was a bit of bullish news and tighter or lower than anticipated numbers on soybean numbers and it reacted a little bit friendly 10 cents up yeah so so what what we have is the, is the u.s market dropping and instantly the european markets copy because they, they think somebody knows something and so the french went down the uk this morning has started a bit weaker and it is a slightly more kind of bearish tone mm-hmm. um so we we start the week we'll, we'll we'll get on to prices now and we'll go feed wheat for octonov is 130x that hasn't changed the boats are beginning to disappear and the time is running out Obviously, we're all still second-guessing what happens in three weeks' time when we leave or don't leave or have an extension or whatever, whatever, which is obviously incredibly calming for any trader's nerves. So if you take a value for May, X-Farm, it's 139. So there's £9 worth of um, benefit for keeping it in your shed all that time. And looking at new crop, um, again, November 20, we'd be 139x for that. Just off the 140, it's sort of dipped in and out of that price. 140 is acceptable, 139 isn't, apparently. So 
There isn't much activity on new crop prices, and I guess that's helped by the fact that it keeps raining. That rain uh, in the last week in East Anglia has certainly slowed things up at the very least, and some of the heavier lands are, are beginning to show signs of not planting. And we are having that terrible conversation of growers kind of asking about spring barley contracts now. Which Thinking, makes you Are they going to switch? Should yeah. we buy wheat, sell spring barley? Mm. Can you sell spring barley? What sort of premium? If everybody wants to jump into it, it's going to be too many tons of barley again, isn't it? So, yeah, slightly worrying. So it's, it's, you know, our, our job is to, is to scaremonger everybody, as you know, and maybe the sun will start shining and everything will be fine and, and we'll all get planting. And let's face it, winters nowadays are milder, so if you plant a bit later in recent years, it hasn't actually had that much of an impact on, uh, on ultimate yield. So if, if two weeks from now it suddenly turns dry, you can quite happily plant in November wheat and it will look just as good as it used to look 30 years ago at the end of January and start the spring properly. So let's not panic yet, eh? Exactly. So feed barley price, still buoyant because there's still export during October. So I would still pay 115x for feed barley X farm. Not really fussed whether we buy it or whether we don't. It's uh, If export ceases, that will be quite difficult to shift, especially with the surplus malting barley hanging around the market as well. And the maltsters being able to be a little bit more fussy if they feel like it. Rape, I'll ask you that one, Ian. <laughs> Rape's been, uh, it's been an interesting one. I've got to say it's um, almost needed therapy after this um, last week. It's confusing. You've got a soybean market. Well, we've all been criticising soybeans for the, I say, the limiting factor on any upside on rapeseed. But beans have gone up probably 30 cents, roughly. Mm-hmm. There's problems being quite well publicised about um, snow on the canola crop in Canada. Problems Th- 30 in- cents is about £15, pounds, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Canola crop has gone up because the snow has gone up about $20, roughly. Rapeseed's down too. doesn't completely well, make sense it does to me. make you wonder whether the European market is controlled by some very big sinister forces, doesn't it? Oh, conspiracy theory there, isn't it? Well, there's not many people who own the main big crushing units mm. in the UK or in, in Europe. So, so is there a, some sort of lid on I it? I do think the market's become very technical. It's... A lot of people have been feeling bullish to it and friendly to it for quite a long period of time. And the trading houses are, have got quite significant longs. They've been buying it, buying it, buying it. And probably as it comes lower, every dip they buy it. I think it may be a market that's just run out of buyers. I still think it's a temporary kind of, I'm not giving up on saying rapeseed is, is necessarily a sell. There's a shortage of it, isn't there? It? Is, there is still a bullish fundamental story, but you, it's just got to have a bit of a shakeout, I think which I'm hoping it's maybe this is the bottom of the shakeout. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I haven't given up on the rapeseed sewer at all yet. No, I, well, we, we don't know. We're, we're trying to give people mm. advice on the basis of supply and demand. Mm. Maybe the price is too high, but I, it doesn't. The only slightly bit of bearish I've got to say is this weather has significantly helped a lot of the rapeseed crops, not just here, but in France, the crops in the ground. The has, rain appearing has yes, yeah. washed the flea beetle down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they've got a they've got a way, and they they do look a hell of a lot better. So yeah, we'll have to see. Although Ben, our um, as we're going to talk about, was on the train yesterday, and he said going down through Essex, uh, he said there was some shocking flea beetle images from there from the train window. You don't think he was just sort of like seeing things badly because he's eating junk food on the on the train? Because <laughs> that's what that's the big thing now. You can't have junk food on the train. Can you not? That'll affect Ben greatly, I think. <laughs> Anyway, with that, have a have a great week trading, everybody, and um, yeah, we'll we'll be uh, doing our bit for the UK in Vienna. Cheers, cheers. Thank you for listening. Please remember, 
that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. This is an advert for our merchant listeners. The Norfolk Dinner is to be held on January the 16th. We have a new venue in the city centre, giving a much better experience, showcasing what Norfolk is about. Book tickets or tables via emma at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning we are going through an in-house conversation because we've just had um, Ben, who's been down at the DEFRA Preparing for Brexit seminar. And Ian and I are going to ask him questions because we, we're too dim to understand, aren't we? <laughs> Something like that, Andrew, yeah. Yeah, and, and I am as well. But yeah. well, you, you drew the straw, didn't you? Anyway, so, so we're going to start with some eye-opening aspects of what you found out yesterday, aren't we, Ben? I'd like to start with, if you were exporting rats for science, the thickness of the shavings for, rabbit, uh, for rabbits and rats. Can you talk me through that? OK, yeah. So the DEFRA seminar yesterday was, uh, I was in a room full of various people who are involved in plant, animal, meat, livestock. We were all there. And we're all there to try and get answers to how a no deal will affect our businesses. How how many people from the grain trade were there? Two. And I was one of them. Excellent. Yeah, that was worrying. I mean, there are other seminars, Bristol and York. So you kind of hope that some of the other people would go there. But I was amazed at how few people I recognised. I mean, the only thing is maybe this podcast will stop people from um, actually bothering to go because there was a number of moments where questions were specifically asked. DEFRA were unable to answer. I think we need to be a bit careful here. DEFRA are obviously working very hard with the information they have available to them at this point in time. The other information they need will come from Europe and the government, and those are the two black holes of information. I think you're in the wrong industry, Ben. You should be a politician with that answer. I think I'd like to be with the salary there on. <laughs> um, but no, coming back to the rat show, yeah, so I would say there are lots of worried people in that room, people whose businesses rely on clarity information. And yes, here we go. We export rats for scientific testing to Europe and the thickness of the shavings is an important part of whether those animals can freely flow into Europe. And these are things we've not had to worry about because the EU dealt with it. So if they attempt to export after October the 31st, they have to have someone to certify the thickness of the shavings that they're sitting on in the, in the cage? <laughs> oh, essentially, yeah. We must get hung up on this, but essentially, yes. Oh, I'd like to get hung up on this. Really, <laughs> well, this is obviously the Leavers thought this one through. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, the early digs in there, everyone. <laughs> I think the main takeaway from the whole event was how many more civil servants we will need to deal with these issues. We will need more animal plant health experts licensed by the government because they will need to visit more sites to verify more goods to then go into the EU. So let's get down to grain then. If we wanted to export a cargo to Europe... Mm-hmm. We would now need to have a a vet to certify that our product is phytosanitary correct. 
Yes, I mean, what we're doing now is we're going to be giving free information to the other merchants that couldn't be bothered to go. Yeah, no. But I'll tell you what it was. Well, let's, let's, let's save the grain trade some money and some time. I mean, why not? We've, we've, we've put the effort in. But the, the <coughs> eye-opener is, this is a single person studying one cargo to, to certify that your product is correct. Where does that person come from? This is an invented new job? Yeah, okay. So before, when the UK has exported grains and oilseeds to a third country, you have to have something called a phytosanitary certificate, which is a certificate approved by a government-approved plant health specialist that says, yes, this cargo is. So many people in the grain trade will know that, but this level of bureaucracy will now potentially have to be applied to grain exports that go to Europe. And if we think about how many vessels leave the UK to go to Spain, Portugal, France, unless we have more experts on hand, those cargoes will be delayed. So let's, let's be clear on this. We're inevitably the, the scaremongering, that look, they're being scare story people. We're now at the deadline, and the reality is that we will not be able to move a boat from this country to Europe without that inspection. Fact. Yes, as of yesterday, that was fact. So the scare... What's it? Project Fear. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I, I was a Remainer. I've been very open about that. But the re, the reality of yes, and and maybe in the short term, this is a price we pay, and and so on. But the element of Project Fear is it stopped every conversation. You couldn't say anything that might happen because you were accused of Project Fear. The reality is, you can't even export a grain cargo because phytosanitary inspection has to be done by a official vet. And those jobs don't exist at the moment. There's already there's official vets out there, but they have not. There's not enough of them to actually tick the boxes for all of the cargoes and stuff that's moving out of the country. As I understand it, yes, there aren't enough of them because if you think about it, in a typical year, the UK exports grain and barley on a very small scale to third country. So, of course, getting a phytosanitary certificate for those cargoes is relatively straightforward. If all of a sudden you know, Europe will treat us as a third country, so we will need these certificates. Sounds quite worrying going forward and a lot of hoops to jump through. Talking about timescales, was anything mentioned? How long will it take them to get their ducks in a row? No, timescales weren't mentioned. So there must have been about eight or nine DEFRA officials in the room. Each one of them was a, an expert in their field. But as I said, their main thrust of what they were saying was, right, here's what we know. Here's what we've been doing to line things up. But at the end of the day, a lot of it will come down to Europe. Don't forget, we're sitting here now, and with no Brexit deal, we still have to do the trade deal with Europe. We're nowhere near even discussing that, and Europe aren't ready to discuss it. I mean, you know, following on from that, the main issue that was stark to me was um, this the, the organic issue. So this is where 11pm on the 31st of October... In theory, well not in theory, fact, no organic goods from the UK will be allowed into Europe because the control bodies, so these are uh, Organic Food Federation, Soil Association, Organic Farmers and Growers, there's a few others, but they're the main three, they will not be approved organic bodies in the EU. Yeah, we've all had the um, well-publicised carrot farm, haven't we, who can't supposedly sell his product. I mean, he, he, as we mentioned earlier, he can sell it conventionally, but commercially, that he'll take a walloping on the back of that, won't he? Yeah, I, I would think he will. And, you know, I don't doubt that the organic control bodies are working very hard to get themselves approved, but actually, 
the time scale's not up to them, it's up to the EU. And the EU could take months to approve them. Is that the opportunity for us to blame the EU then? Is it, is it? Well, it, it, well, you'd think it must be. I mean, it's another sort of, I don't know whether, you know, are the EU over-bureaucratic, you know, but at the end of the day, the EU probably has set dates where they, well, they do, they have set dates where they sit down and they review certain aspects of agriculture and organic, and on the agenda will be, okay, the approval of UK's control bodies. That will be an agenda item. But let's face it, the, the French have never got over that Norfolk boy giving him a stuffing in Trafalgar, have they? <laughs> well, they haven't, have they? No, 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 they haven't, Andrew. So it's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll discuss that later. I mean, the other sort of, you know, the, 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 the number of acronyms that we had to go through was, was phenomenal. You know, in that room, there were a lot of uh, meat exporters, dairy exporters, uh, you know, and these are guys that are adding value. They're really manufacturing a very good product. And if they stamped something with an EU stamp that then leaves the country, as of 11pm on the 31st of October, that good will not be accepted into the EU. It will have to have a different stamp on it. You, you mentioned a, a cheesemaker. Yeah, there was, there was a, uh, a company there who I think exports a lot of cheese to the EU. They do it under their EU branding, which is fully accepted. They will now have to, I mean, we've got this leaflet in front of us, but their factory will have to be re-inspected. They will have to then have a new stamp saying that they're a GB-approved producer. That standard will then have to be accepted by the EU. So, you know, I, I think I think this person was saying that they're actually trying to, well, stopping exporting until they've got that approval. And again, that will require a government official. So, uh, so yeah, so you, another veterinary uh, inspection <coughs> in the first place. So the, the, the loads of spare vets that are around the country will be able to suddenly find a job, won't they? Uh, in theory, I'm sure if they apply to DEFRA, they, can, uh, they will be very, very busy. You know, there are, there are other things that are slightly mind-blowing. So there are, there are things called BIPs, Border Inspection Points. So these are points where certain agricultural goods can enter the EU. I'm sorry, everyone, this is really dull, but this is what we had to sit through. In the UK, you can, I think you can only export live animals from two ports. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday about this. But France, whereas before we didn't have to worry about the border inspection points, France has had to then invest in a lot of infrastructure so that when live animals come over to France they can then be inspected to an EU standard at the point of arrival. It didn't matter before because we could do that in the UK. So the animals could just get on the... They'd be approved in the UK on the truck, bang, done. But now the truck has to land in France and then be inspected. And these ports have to change what they're they're going to make life really easy for us, aren't they, the French? (laughs) You know, sorry about that. I laugh about it. It's a serious point. This is another thing of... Oh, here we go. You know, France, I think, have applied for what it'll be Calais and Cherbourg, I think. But they will, yeah, they have to now in, inspect lots more cargoes. All of this is happening at the same time that uh, Minette Bat has put a tweet out highlighting that um, the UK is going to be paying tariffs on exports of wheat. <laughs> and wheat coming in from Europe will have no tariff on it whatsoever. And, and quite rightly, she's trying to highlight something that, that the government are going to just not say much about. But the reality is a subsidised area is going to be allowed to send a product to us without a tariff, which is absolutely selling the farming community <laughs> down the road, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. I don't think you could put it any other way. And um, 
I think it kind of uh, starts to get slightly concerning if you were to bring in US agriculture to that picture. We've spoken about this before, but yeah, you know... Food standards. Yeah. Lower spec. And the fact that you can't compete. I mean, GM... Oh, there's a can of worms. Yeah, but you're not allowed to grow it in the UK and you get lots of the the, the extension rebellion boys would have a two places to be at once then, wouldn't they? It'd be like having two jobs. <laughs> have your dreadlocks in the field stamping out the corn crop and then go back to London and dance dance around <laughs> Westminster Bridge. <laughs> OK. I, I, I can see this podcast could be slightly controversial. Are we here? <laughs> let's, let's face it. Let's face it. Those guys are not doing that particular rebellion a, a and, lot of good, are they? And, and women, Andrew. Guys and girls. But coming back to a more, a more serious <laughs> yeah, point... Well, good idea. Um, there is still a huge amount of work to do for the agricultural sector. Never mind. Think about everything else we do in the UK. Steel, electronics, you know. But obviously our focus is agriculture. And I sat in a room with a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on, you know, trading. And, OK, the, the DEFRA people were very good. And they said, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, we'll try and keep an open border policy where we can so goods can flow freely. But as you said, Andrew, actually, the free flow of goods, it'll be stuff coming in that will probably be easier than sending stuff out. What was the sentiment of the other guys in the room with you? You know, there must be quite a lot of concerned, worried people. I mean, you're talking to other guys from other sectors, you know, which is quite interesting in itself. But, you know, how are, in the title, we're talking about preparing for Brexit. What were they doing, you know? Was it, like Susie said earlier, head between the legs and kind of kiss your ass? Yeah, a lot of them, it was just concern. It was, you know, palpable concern. It's not that they're, you know, people that can't think for themselves. They can think for themselves. But what we're all trying to do is operate in a vacuum. And I said it before, you know, DEFRA have done all they can to get companies ready. But the two biggest stumbling blocks are what the government are going to agree and what Europe will agree with us. And yeah, I, I spoke to a few of the um, I spoke to a few of the livestock guys and, and they're the guys you kind of think, yeah, you've got a lot of work to do. Mm. Which sector was the best attendee? I mean, oh, that probably highlights who's got the most fear over this. Yeah, uh, the, the best attended was definitely uh, dairy and livestock. It, there were a few sort of maybe horticultural people there, but yeah, they, they were definitely the ones there and they were asking the most questions. And getting the fewest answers. But so, so, so the other thing to bear in mind is that the live export of animals, no matter what animal, they will always be going to Europe because it is our closest export home. Fine, we might export frozen carcasses to the US or wherever else, but actually it's the live animal exports. I'm sure we will get to a point where we are trading with Europe regularly again somewhere down the line two three four five years whenever it whatever it takes to get to that point we'll all look back and go well thank goodness we're through all that or you know thank goodness it's it's working it is the damage in between now and then to you know individuals will go broke won't they new companies will form yeah people won't get it we, we've taken our uh, you need to take new steps to export meat and dairy products to the EU we've got a little leaflet here but the starting point for us as, as cereal exporters potentially is check if you have a UK economic operator registration and identification which is EORI number now we need one of those so we've applied and we've got our number haven't we so we yeah, can we've export. had it for yeah Luckily, that's where we stop, isn't it? Essentially, we well, then our next step would be yeah, obviously the phytosanitary 
letter to confirm. But yeah, essentially that's where we stop. And then we have to worry about a few tariffs. So if you're a dairy person, it goes on to point number 15 A and B. And, you know, the number, so if I randomly pick one, um, find an official veterinarian, yet again, OV in, in brackets, because we keep using the word OV all the way through it, uh, or authorised signatory to certify your goods for your EHC. What's an EHC? Uh, that would be an export health certificate. Okay, so point being, it goes on and on and on. So that there's so many hoops that are going to take individual time. Yeah, and, and also the other thing, which I haven't touched on, but again, it's something that we have experience of and the UK grain trade will. If a vessel or a container is delayed, extra charges apply. You get demurrage charges. Those demurrage charges only go up. So delay in a system just adds cost, adds expense, and no one benefits from that. Well, the only person that benefits is the shipping company. But they're only charging you because that boat can't go on to do something else. Well, Dover's going to smell a bit cheesy, isn't it? Let's face it. There's going to be well, just, you know. Hopefully, they'll use that that car park down the M20 for French lorries going back. So ours will just keep going to the front, and they'll just keep queuing them there if they mess us around too much. <laughs> I should be in charge of Dover, really. I think. <laughs> I think that would be a disaster. That would, you think so? Yeah. Logistic, uh, <laughs> logistics management. I also accept. The argument, and I was talking to a haulier that does a lot of European business, and I accept the argument that, look, don't forget, you know, they want to import to us, Ben, so it's reciprocal. They have to be fair. Yes, they do, and that is an argument, but... Our government wants cheap food. Our government will therefore be determined to let things come in as easily as possible to get cheap food. They've got to get voted in again. The motivation is the wrong way round. If you're thinking about UK producers, the motivation is about getting elected professional politician. It is not about being fair. There's no tariffs on imports of food, and there are tariffs on exports. Yeah. That Whoever wrote that and can look the world in the eye and say, we're being fair and we're being good and we care about food standards, we care about animals, is lying. Big word. Anyway, I'm going to just there is a key on this little leaflet that says, these steps could cost you money. <laughs> okay, good. The next key is these steps could take more than two weeks. So if you've got 15 steps in the dairy sector, 15 times two is 30 weeks or more. Yeah. At least they've warned you. On a lighter note, and while we're Ooh, on the subject lovely. of imports, we've actually got beer to try. Thank and goodness. We have got an imported, we've got a Belgian beer this week. Oh. It's probably one for your. Uh, Sort of uh, for your taste buds, it's um, it's a slightly more feminine beer. It's a uh, it's a cherry based beer. Just so everyone knows, he's looking at me. <laughs> and my. So what do we got? We've got <laughs> a. Uh, and where are, where are the cherries from, Ian? It's a, a typical Flemish beer with pleasant wine like taste and a rich past. This dark brown beer, which has matured in oak casks, has a slightly acidic aftertaste. But it's in a very cool uh, paper wrapper. So. Uh, yeah, I hope that paper wrapper is recyclable. I've got to admit, every now and again, I do go to the Belgian Monk in Norwich. Great yeah. little pub, good strong beers, but they have a cherry-based beer as well, which I very quietly drink in the corner, so no yeah, one sees no, me. That is a killer, that one. Smells smells a bit like Tixie Licks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so where he's cracked. Oh, I think that's the same stuff. Yeah, I quite like that. Cheers. <clears throat> Cheers. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that is the same stuff, and. It's not as sweet, though. Yeah. Oh, it's very cherry-like. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely cherry. But, um, yeah, no, I quite like that. Not bad. So, uh, 
Ben, you were on the uh, the train yesterday, and you had um, a little jaunt out, and you obviously came back with loads of info, and that's awesome, and you filled us in, and we feel very informed now. Or ill-informed. Yeah, yeah well, but, so that's great, that's really helpful. But um, you also had the delights of London yesterday, didn't you? And, yeah. Uh, the joys of Extinction Rebellion. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, so getting off the tube at Westminster, all the roads closed around the House of Commons and there were police everywhere. I mean, and I mean everywhere, but the, but they were just standing around or sitting in their van. And that's not, but that's obviously what they were told to do because they were waiting or trying to stop Extinction Rebellion. And I must admit, someone um, said that, oh yeah, on Tuesday, Extinction Rebellion were banging drums all day. So people in the offices, all they heard was drum banging, which which someone said was quite annoying. Yeah, quite annoying. The dancing round in the streets, quite annoying on TV. That I got there was a there was a tweet I saw where, where someone took a. Can picture. I just say that Andrew does love the environment? I do. I absolutely do. He does. I think it's been if it was if it was middle class kind of just well-dressed people having an articulate argument saying this really is an issue, we really do need to face this, or at least the TV reporting that section. The, the easy-to-photograph village idiot with his green hair is such a journalist's opportunity to be stupid. Put the people who are genuinely, for the first time in their lives, genuinely marching and genuinely saying, yes, I can see there's a problem on the TV, and, and it'll begin to gain more traction. If you show a picture of... Well, this tweet came on with, with my friend Dork, or Dirk, or whatever his name was, was standing there with his dreadlocked hair, and it said, you know, uh, Dirk had his finger broken by an overzealous policeman trying to move us on. And I thought about tweeting back, oh dear, that will really affect your job tomorrow morning, or will that hold you up getting your dole check tomorrow? And I thought, no, don't tweet, because you get lots of people with lots of spare time doing vitriolic... <laughs> But also, he wouldn't be able to get his double check today because he's he's rebelling today. Oh, well, okay. Well, he'd have to. He'd probably pay by backs and he'd have to turn up anyway. But but you know, he'd probably have struggled typing with his finger injured. But the, the but it, I, we're focusing on those guys who are happy to sit up trees. You know, remember the guy who sit up trees and hug, hug Swampy. 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 Yeah. So. Oh, Swampy. by the way, everyone, Andrew does have patches on his jumper today as well. Yeah. That's so there you go. Hard up, save that, save the yeah. world. Buy it from Barbour, they're already sewn on. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> Buy someone in the third world. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an extremist, I accept, today. However, my point about Extinction Rebellion is it's much more serious than those people. Those people are great, I'm glad they're, yes. they're protesting <clears throat> good, but they do things to be antagonistic regardless of whatever the cause is. They're there at every single one. There is a whole load of genuinely concerned people. That, you know, Greta Thunberg had a whole load of grief for being very passionate about a subject. And she's, she's, we all know she's right. We all know that um, the world is in a, in a big, big problem coming. Mm. Dyson yesterday announced he was abolishing yeah. his electric car project because of the lithium mining and and it's just it's not going to work it's not the answer so we've got we've got troubles ahead and here we sit it is going to become a bigger and bigger movement and it will become more serious is my point well said is that am i no longer an extremist now am i all right (laughs) anyway with that i think we better wrap it up if i've offended anyone today i'm very sorry so uh, thanks for listening Oh, and just to say that yeah. I, I'm available for uh, consultancy work on, uh, you know, your, your DEFRA Brexit preparations. 
Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 